everybody, this is Josh McKinney, and I just want to welcome you to episode 155 of the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. Thank you guys for joining me today. Shout out, huge shout out to all those people that have given me a five-star review so far. I, I'm, I don't know who you are, but if there was a way for me to know who you were, I would... I would friend you on Facebook or something. I don't know. But anyway, um, also second shout out, check this t-shirt out for anybody watching the video right now. Uh, I have, I'm repping the toadies right now because I'm actually just getting ready to head out uh, to a toadies concert. If you guys don't know, just a few episodes ago, I interviewed Donovan Blair, who is uh, their bass guitar player. And so he got me kyle and junior on the list i don't want to tell you guys what we had to do to get on the list but uh he got us on the list and uh what's done is done and we're gonna go and see the show in just a second so that's super exciting also man i'm just throwing all kinds of random stuff out there to start this one big shout out to whomever had this conversation with donnie blair he was telling me that he met a girl who said yeah i listened to your episode on the show and i just you know i i love the isaka jiu-jitsu show and uh, uh she even said that it brought her back to training that episode because he uh had taken some time off training so if you guys are looking for something to listen to after this one that's an excellent episode to go with and huge shout out to whoever that was that just started training again again glad you are training again you know what if you are this person that just had that conversation with donnie uh send me send me an email josh at simplifying jujitsu.com i have a cool gift for you and um don't everybody all at once go and send me that email and be like oh yeah it was me i'll make sure to ask him i'll make sure to get approval but anyway let's get back into this episode what's actually going on right now and that is uh this new episode with uh mop what's his real name oh yeah andrew ebers yeah it's just it's one of those things that you have certain friends that you only know them by their nickname. I literally, I was introducing him uh, in Vegas to, to different people that I knew. And I'll tell you guys about why we were stuck in Vegas together. Um, but I was introducing Mop in Vegas to people. And then he would like introduce himself as Andrew. I was like, who's Andrew? That's Wait a second. That's your, that's your real name? I didn't know that, man. Um, but yeah, anyway, we got Mop on the show. And a fun little backstory, kind of what made me want to have him on the episode is uh, he and I have known each other for a long time. We were both black belts in the same area, both have schools. We're a little bit away from each other. There's a little bit of distance between us, but still in, in kind of the same area. And so uh, uh, he also is just a really interesting dude. So when we're when I was stuck in Vegas for ADCC trials, as some of you guys know, you've heard the Chronicles. Um, but while I was stuck there, I was stuck there for part of this for probably the first half of being stuck uh, with Mop. We were, you know, the pretty much the only St. Louis people that each other knew and uh, got to really spend a lot of time together. And I really got to pick his brain on training method on kind of how to build a, a, a gym around training just all kinds of different things he really is a wealth of knowledge and uh just been around for a very long time and 
as you guys will hear on the podcast, he's got somebody in the UFC right now. He has other guys that will probably will be in the UFC eventually. Uh, he's really starting to build a name with his team and uh, with his guys. And so getting to hear somebody from that perspective, like right there starting to make it. And uh, especially in in MMA, not just in jujitsu, there are some different things that come with making it in MMA, and we get to talk about all those things. And so he has uh, uh, just a really unique perspective. I think you guys are really going to like this one, and uh, I can confidently say that I will have him back on the show again. And so as long as he's still down with it, as long as he's not a liar, you know, uh, and he he does come back on the show again. But on my side of things, he'll come back on the show again. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation with Mop and I. Mop, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Good. It's good to see you, man. You as well. Last time that we got to hang out together, we were just talking about it. We were, it was not by choice. We were stuck in Vegas. Yes. And we, man, if I brought my recording stuff we had 12 podcast episodes yeah. that we probably recorded there absolutely um but it all fell on deaf ears or it fell on our our purple belts yes you know? lowly purple belt <laughs> and yeah and that's those, those people don't even matter yeah you know? they definitely didn't deserve it so I just thought we would start um, first time on the show. Just wanted to get a yeah. little intro from you. Uh, what got you? And I actually don't know the answer to this one. Yeah. What got you started in jujitsu? So um, started out. My friend on the swim team had a dad who had trained at Rodrigo Vagis like years <laughs> ago, right? And he was like a two-stripe white belt or something like that. And we were super nerds that liked to watch martial arts films, and we'd like do karate in like the garage. And he was like, "That stuff's like not." not as good as this stuff. And I didn't believe him and he gave me some like UFC tapes. So like I literally came in like the old school way, like Hoist Gracie, uh-huh. UFC one. And I was like, oh, I gotta learn this this thing. This dude's little and nerdy, just like me. Well, I was big and nerdy, I was fat and nerdy, but the other guy was little and nerdy. So he threw down some mats and started teaching us. And then I fell in love with it and walked into JW's Academy when it was the size of this room. And that's how it started. That's awesome. How, uh, how old were you? I was 14. Uh, it was like right before my 15th birthday, so I was basically 15. And but. so, in the so, how long have you been training now? God, I almost I lost count after 15. I think it's almost 20, or like maybe a year short or so two. I don't know. In almost 20 years, besides injuries, did you ever take any time off? No, only injuries. Man, and so what made you? What made it click for you that okay, this is what I'm going to do forever? Uh, the first time I walked in and the guy who actually gave my, gave me my black belt, Keith Robinson, um, I saw him rolling with like a 300 pound guy the second I walked in there and he was taking him to school and I was like, oh yeah, that's it. This is what I want to do forever. It was pretty instant. It was like when I was watching those tapes, I was like, this is what I want to do or have some sort of involvement with it in general. Cause I just fell in love with the whole idea of martial arts and not, there's this like fighting thing out there. And cause MMA was really my first my first like passion even before jujitsu that's what i wanted to do so yeah knew pretty pretty quick and so you um your jujitsu was your jujitsu training always for mma yes. or were you you were you competing coming up too though in jujitsu yeah yeah i competed a lot from white to purple and oh. then like right before i got my purple belt i uh, uh started doing mma more and i was like i'm just gonna do this yeah. so pretty much i competed like once as a brown belt but Mostly everything's been geared towards MMA. 
What was it that drew you more towards MMA than jujitsu? Mm, well, I was a nerd, like I said, when growing yeah. up. So I got picked on a lot and beat uh -huh. up a lot. So like, I don't know, the fighting aspect, really the self-defense aspect in the beginning is like, man, I think this is like the way to go. Like learning how to strike and grapple and, and even wrestle, I was like always trying to do all that. Mm -hmm. Never really trying to just focus on just jujitsu since the start, but yeah, just the realness combat part, getting hit, hitting people, was always pretty fun for me. And so, uh, you're still an active MMA fighter, right? Uh, I mean, I haven't fought in like two and a half years. Yeah. It's been a while, um, mainly coaching, but doesn't mean I won't ever compete again, but like my gear has, my, my focus has definitely shift, shifted more towards my guys and building my gym at this point. Um, I've been plagued by injuries yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> very badly. And it was my fault, like I was just training stupid, overtraining and like not doing enough strength and conditioning and it was really late in my career when I found Matt and started like getting in like really good shape and starting to get injured less. But um, I mean, man, I've flown on eight planes, like I said, in the past like six weeks. So mm -hmm. it's like I haven't even been in my, my gym training myself for two months. So it's been, it's been definitely a focus shift, but I mean, I definitely have to compete in it a couple more times before I'm done. So... Uh, when did you kind of, obviously you fought two and a half years ago, yeah. when did the focus kind of start shifting for you where you go, okay, competitor is less important to me, coach is more important? COVID. Really? Yes, my business, I almost went out of business and uh, it was, I, th I came to the conclusion that it was that my focuses were too split in too many different areas. Like I hadn't, I hadn't focused on my business. It's been more like, all right, I'll train my guys and then, you know, I'll fight also and I'll concentrate on fighting and I'll train my guys while I'm competing and that part of it worked out just fine right training my guys and competing so if I had, was just coaching only yeah. I could easily do the uh the fighter part of it as well but after COVID I realized like I've been slacking on my business because when I go into fighter mode it's all I think about and it's all I do is train cut weight eat train cut weight cut weight eat and I'm already in the gym so training the guys is no problem mm -hmm. but running the business was a problem so that that encompasses most of my time as well as travel and stuff but yeah after covid it was like hey i need to focus on the, you know my livelihood and and i'll concentrate on these guys i need to grow this gym and it's bigger than myself and that's kind of the conclusion that i came to and you also had uh at that time and, and now some really good athletes yes. too right mm -hmm. when did that did that go hand in hand did that uh seeing who you had around you and go yeah. oh these guys could could get somewhere yes that absolutely. motivated you more to to commit to him yes uh, sean going into the ufc was definitely a big thing and then you know he was training at glory for a while so i was like okay he's training at glory i'll just train up these other guys but when he came back to us full time um i was like yeah this is far more important and i was scheduled to fight around the time that he was around to fight and i was like i I can't do both. Like mm -hmm. I'm literally giving him private lessons like three, four times a week, holding mitts for him, along with like the 20 other guys I have, and running the business, bringing new people in, stuff like that. It was just just all a lot of just all difficult to do all at the same time. That makes sense. Yeah. So, kind of while we're on the subject, Sean yeah. just had um, his what, what fight in the UFC? Was uh, this fifth for? fight. Fifth fight. Fifth fight. Yes. And so um, that was ended in a draw. Yeah. It was a. Uh, man, it was a crazy fight. It was crazy. What was, let, let's just go to the point early in the fight. Let's just start yeah. early on. Um, did you feel like it was starting out well? Uh, no, 
No, I did not. Uh, Sean has this, this like energy about him when he goes in there and it's just like sometimes, you know, it'll be a little flatter and I, I, I've been with him so many times that I can kind of notice that pretty quick. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had done so many fights together. I've been in his corner for all but one of his fights and I could kind of notice right now that he wasn't quite as sharp as usual and he'll be the first one to tell you that yeah. like he walked out there he just didn't feel right and i could feel that right away because usually he doesn't step too hard forward on his jabs right away he doesn't quite run guys down as much as he was trying to run down luis saldana uh -huh. i just think he was trying to get him out of there a little too quickly and was pushing a lot where usually he's more of someone that waits Mm -hmm. You know, he'll put forward pressure, but it'll be like a more of like a counter style kind of fight. Wait for the guy to bite on feints and then hit him. He went right after Luis, which was, was our game plan was to get on him and, and to be a more aggressive. But I think he just kind of went a little too hard out the gate trying to put him out. Didn't quite respect him enough. And I can kind of tell from the get-go. And then um, after the, the knockdown and the illegal knee, yeah. what was kind of... I mean, as a coach, what are you? Yeah. What's going through your head when that situation happens? Um, oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. that it's freaking out. But the problem—the problem was—is that when Sean got hit with that with that punch, right? It he was badly, badly hurt, and then you know hit with the second punch, even more hurt, and then he got hit with the knee. He has no recollection mm -hmm. of what of any of that. Yeah. Right. So like when he got up. We were yelling at him to take us five minutes, but you're not allowed to coach during yeah, like a break yeah. like that. You yeah. can't do it. So we were told to shut up right away, you know, and you don't want to be that guy who's uh -huh. like, you know, ref yells at you, done, boom, well, nothing we can do now. Yeah. And he had no idea he got hit with a legal knee. In between, when the guy was talking to him, he had no idea what he was talking to him about. He was like, I'm fine, I can keep going, I'm fine, I can keep going. So he couldn't, he didn't know that he was even fouled, yeah. right? When I walked in there in between rounds, he literally told me, he's like, what happened? Like, you got an illegal knee. And in the end of the fight, when I was like, that was probably a draw because he got a point taken away. He, he was like, he did? What did he do? Oh, man. You know, so he was out of it. So in my mind, I'm just like, oh, man, I hope he can, I hope he can just push it the next two rounds because I'm like, oh, he only needs to win one. Mm -hmm. He only needs to win one, and then it's a draw. So I was very hopeful for that, but... When he got hit, we kind of knew that things were not going to yeah. be right because those were three shots. He went out. People didn't, I don't think people saw that, but I was, he was like literally this close to me when it happened, right? Uh -huh. So he went for a second, yeah. like a split second, and then got hit again and woke up. Like that's a knockout. Like it's, it's hard to come back from Yeah, that, and so. that's, you know, like you can't, there is no amount of toughness that can make your brain function when it's not functioning. You know what I mean? That oh. can make it. Uh, but still, but still, there was a lot of toughness there. Oh yeah, that second round, he almost pulled off <laughs> oh, yeah. first the yeah. first ever buggy choke yes. in UFC history. And we trained that a lot for this fight because this guy likes to shoot doubles and end inside control and doubles. And I was like, if this guy does this, just go right for it because Sean hits that all the time in training, all the time. Mm -hmm. it makes so much sense for MMA too. Yes, it really does. If you're inside control, you're keeping mm -hmm. the posture broken, you're threatening yes. a submission. You're not getting hit, yes. you know, and you can, a lot of times guys will flee and you yes. can get up. That's what I'm saying. So like, notice, um, I'm, I'm positive you watched ADCC, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. Notice, every match. Yeah, every single, oh dude, I, my girlfriend hated me that day. She <laughs> still brings it up. She's just like, you just were all day. And I'm like, oh, I told you, you can't get mad at me. I told you. <laughs> it's going to be I, all day. I didn't know you were going to use every TV in the house though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, 
yeah, she, uh, yeah, she, she was on me about it. But it was, uh, it was pretty cool because what you could see is like when the Rotolos were fighting, right? Notice that when people passed the side control on them, even if they scored, they generally retreated back in the half guard mm -hmm. almost right away. So in MMA, you can't do that. Because mm -hmm. in jiu-jitsu, the, the guys will play that, that game, the mm -hmm. bottom game, especially if that's where their advantage lies. Like They're like, oh yeah, I'm going to be on bottom, you can't pass my guard, I'm going to choke you if you pass. Uh -huh. But in MMA, if you do something like retreat that hard, the dude's up on his feet. So that's the primary focus of grappling in MMA from top position, is to keep the guy in bottom yeah. position. Which is why sometimes, like I'll watch with like some like uh, really good jiu-jitsu guys, black belts, right? Uh -huh. They'll watch an MMA fight. They'll be like, why did that guy go to half, back to half guard? That was dumb. And I was like, because the dude was about to get up. Uh -huh. So like you go back into half guard to keep him down and then try to pass again. But yeah, so like we're training it. So guys will just push away and get up or maybe not even pass the side control at all uh -huh. whatsoever. But yeah, I think it's perfect for MMA. You, perfect. Did you feel like he was going to finish it? Oh, yeah. I was so pumped. I was so yeah. sure. Yes. I was so... It looked so tight. After Louis fought, he said, I had no idea what I was in. Because he talked to us afterwards. I had no idea what I was, I was in. And my vision went like... It was going like oh, this. Oh, it was... It looked so yeah. close. I know. It really... Man, that would have been awesome. Oh, it would have uh, been. But still, what, what a good... What a good show of training method. A good show of toughness. Yeah. A good show of... All of the things that you do that when you win a match or win a fight, yeah. they're not really showcased. Yeah. Um, but it was a good show that like really yeah. showed how well rounded Sean yeah. was mm -hmm. too. Do you feel like um, uh, do you feel like it was motivating for him? Uh, yes, very, very. Much. Sean's just that guy. Yeah, he's just that guy. Like literally one of the best people I've ever met in my life. Which uh -huh. is funny because he's got all the tattoos and he looks like he'd be a little rougher. Oh my god, he's like, like I mean, like afterwards, just stopping and talking to every single person that come that wanted to come up and talk to him and uh -huh. like with like complete gratitude towards him you know so he was that guy afterwards he was like hey you know i got away with this one by the skin of my teeth you know uh -huh. and uh we're just gonna keep going yeah you know he he knows you know what was different about this camp and what he needed to change um and why what happened happened so you know yeah he's gonna be back better than ever and people are gonna be more afraid to take him down now Yes, I'm sure. Yes. I'm sure. He has an amazing guillotine. Like, we saw that when he fought Yusuf. I don't know if you saw his fight with Yusuf. Yeah. You know, two, two separate double leg shots and two close guillotine mm -hmm. attempts. You know, he's got an amazing guillotine, and he's really good at that choke. Uh -huh. He's really, really good at the, at the, uh, at the uh, buggy choke, very good darts chokes, and, like, take, phenomenal takedown defense. And I really think before his, this last one, only really the takedown defense was getting showcased. Because yeah. the dude has... The stats are pretty unreal because people just shoot on him all fight. Yeah, and he just stuffs like all of it. Uh -huh. He's only been taken down in the UFC like three times out of like a hundred takedown attempts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh huh. It's a lot, but yeah, he's gonna be better than ever, and I'm really excited for it because physically, he is special uh -huh. for that division. Yeah. Special, and he's going to give every single person problems because of that. Mm -hmm. You know, like look, like I bet you. Uh, What's his name? The guy who just fought. He, I bet he didn't didn't ever think Sean was going to be able to pull off like a tight buggy choke or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. You know? Uh huh. Yeah. So um, you kind of brought it up. We've talked. We had this conversation before. I just thought it would be fun to revisit it on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so I asked you when we were in Vegas. Uh, we're talking conceptual teaching, yeah. conceptual jujitsu, conceptual uh, MMA, and I said for striking. 
what is the most important concept to understand? Yeah. And your answer was? Distance. Distance. Distance management. And so even there, in your recap of Sean, your big thing was he didn't look himself, he didn't manage the distance yes, well. he didn't manage the distance well. You said he walked forward. Yeah. And so when you're, let's look at like the most rudimentary ideas first. Yeah. When you are teaching, um, let's say first for striking, yeah. uh, when you are teaching distance management for striking, what? Do, yeah. how do you explain it to somebody? Um, you know, first of all, I'm not the head striking coach at the gym, <laughs> for sure, for sure. I feel like I have guys that are, are just better at that than me, but I do actively coach the striking in a lot of the MMA aspects. And you know, um, my biggest thing with distance management is an effective jab, right? An effective, uh, you know, lead or rear push kick, right? Anything to gauge the distance, getting on reactions and making the guy feel like you're either too far away to be hit or too close to get any good strikes off. So it's all about that 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 range management with your jab and using your feet to push in and push out. Mm -hmm. right? Push in, push out. And uh, that, those are my biggest things with, with getting distance. And if you were to talk, so Sean preaches this a lot because I'll, I learn a lot of my striking from Sean, right? Mm -hmm. Even when I go to coach, Sean's big thing is like, he's so effective in that realm, but he has a very hard time speaking it yeah, of into existence, you know? Like it's something that he's been actively working on and been trying as he gets older in his career, he wants to teach more. But that's his big thing too, is like, you know, you have to use your feints, your jab, and, and your feet to manage that distance. Whereas, you know, like in jiu-jitsu, it'd be more like, you know, frames and, and, and hip movement and things like that. Uh -huh. So it's a little bit of a different concept, but yeah, just movement, jab, so uh, you just said something interesting yeah. about Sean. I think this is something that yeah. most of us would agree. A lot of times the best athletes, mm -hmm. uh, they struggle to explain what they're actually doing because yeah. to be a great athlete, a lot of times you just have to have stuff that you do without yeah. even realizing. Yes. You know, uh, you just have to have that, uh, um, that mindless yeah. ability to fight and yeah. or the grapple or play whatever sport. Yeah. So do you feel like, um, do you feel like you can learn the same way how you learn from one of your strikers? Um, do you feel like you've had that in jujitsu as a coach where you watch your good athletes and you start to pick little things and go, oh, this is what they're doing. This is how it should be explained so yeah. they can understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I like to watch my guys to learn things, uh -huh. you know, just like you would watch, you know, the average fight or the average like jujitsu match and you're like, oh, he did this, he did that. You know, you got your two different kinds of people. You got your people that watch it and go ooh and ah, and those guys can be really good guys. Uh -huh. You know, I mean guys that are, are amazing, you know, guys that are really good and they just aren't seeing it the same way you are as someone who's coaching athletes. You know, you're like, hey, I want to show, this guy would work good for this guy, this would work good for that guy, but yeah, just, um, yeah, just watching them to pick up stuff and then listening to what they have to say and the way they say it is like, you know, like a preschool student, like jibber jabbering, you know, like I'm like, what are you even trying to say? But I can pick up the concept behind what they're saying and then explain it to everybody else in the class. Okay. Yeah. So um, as we kind of, as we kind of move forward and I uh, want to shift a little bit from yeah. MMA and just move the focus just more specifically towards jujitsu. Yeah. Uh, but is there anything before we move from MMA? Is there anything I thought it'd be cool to ask you this? Yeah. You're kind of an expert on this. Oh yeah, let's only like a is minimal. there anything we don't realize about getting to be a coach in the UFC? 
like uh, how you're treated, what, how things work, just something that is um, that maybe someone who is like a, like freaking Bryce and I who are just yeah. lowly local UFC fans. Yeah. Um, something we wouldn't realize that you get when you or get to do when you're a coach. Oh yeah. Well, this is a great question. I really would like to talk about this anyway. So every time I get back from one of these UFC events, I like go up to everyone like you have no idea. Really? <laughs> you have no idea. They are like the most like, oh God, like, like almost like, have you ever seen like, uh, like one of those like TV shows where like you're in that little small town and everybody's super nice to each other and knows everybody's name. Uh-huh. It is exactly like that. It is but like it's all with UFC. Oh my god! It's it's all the staff of the UFC are like the nicest, most friendly, awesome people I've ever met. Like it's kind of disturbing almost how nice they are. Really? Oh yeah, and they take care of you. Like they take care of you in every single way, especially when we were in Vegas when they rented out the entire. They, they have an entire hotel in Vegas, right, for the uh-huh. Apex. And like, it's insane. Like they know Sean's name. Sean knows everybody there. They all get, try to get to know you right away. And uh, they just give you everything you need. Like, and then they shuttle us over to the apex where we get to work out in this like, you know, you know I think it was what, like $16 million facility where like the, everything's free. <laughs> and you just go there and you just train. And then they have like a cold plunge, a sauna, like everything perfect. Like, if you ever look at Sean, like he did, never complains, right? Yeah. You know, and he's one of the guys. You know, he's like lower mid tier payment wise uh-huh. at the moment, right? Because it's a sliding scale every time you fight. Yeah, he never complains about what the UFC is paying him because he's like that level of what they're doing, as opposed to Bellator or in other place. Because I've gone for Bellator too. And when I was in Bellator, I didn't do anything for us. Yeah, you know, like you showed up they in your shuttled, own car. Yeah. <laughs> they shuttled us. All, they made us all shuttle to the family arena and they wouldn't drive us back. Like I was like, what am I supposed to get back? He's like, gotta wait till the end of the show. And I'm like, that's like six hours from now. And uh-huh. the UFC after Sean's fight, they shuttle you back. And if you want to get shuttled back to the event after that, you're good. You leave whenever you want. Oh, right. Man. And they take care of you. Like I can't even explain like, you know, the UFC like card is on all the TVs and all the hotel rooms. If you want to go back to the hotel room, they took care of Sean, you know, they feed him. They give us money at the beginning when we get there for food. Oh my God. Yeah, they just literally just, they gave us like, they gave Sean like a big stack of cash, like, all right, whatever your guys needs, you know, and then his management company takes care of us as well too. That's all in there as well, Iridium. So they, they take care of us while, while we're there too. They buy us like dinner and stuff like that. But yeah, pretty much if you're UFC coach, when you're there, you get everything pretty much taken care of. All right. Give, give me top experience so far. Uh, damn. Uh, God, it had to have been uh, Sean's Sean's last fight. We finished that dude with the body shot uh-huh. in the first round. Oh, that one was amazing. Um, and that's what I'm saying about taking care of us. Like they showed us back, they treated us like gold. Dana White came out and gave us all fist bumps. Oh yeah, it was super cool. And I'm like, wow, this is this is great. So. Um, it's pretty much everything I dreamed would be as being a coach when I guys got there. I'm not gonna lie. Famous people everywhere. Everybody's nice. You know, like we hung out with like uh, you know Matt Sarah and Ray Longo at the airport, and like you know I just walk into the warm up room. There's the UFC champion just right there. And it's pretty cool. And I, I've been to local MMA shows, yeah. and I know how it works. It doesn't matter where you're at on the card. Yeah. If you have a great performance, yeah. you are the king of the city. Yes. You know, and I assume. Getting to be the king of the city after landing oh, yeah. that body shot, yeah, I'm sure that that was a really cool experience. It was, it was, it was amazing. And another one, and I'll never forget this moment as long as I live. When Sean was getting beat up on the Contender Series fight, and then he turned it around uh-huh. and fucking landed that flying knee on that dude. Uh huh. Oh, and then week, walked it off. Walked it off. Knew it. 
A week before that, we had no idea that we were going to be in that position. He took that fight on five days notice. So like we were sitting there and then all of a sudden, hey, I'm fighting on the contender series in five days. And I'm like, oh shit, like I have to like completely rearrange my life real quick because uh-huh. there's no way I'm going to miss it. We raised like $3,000 to get us all there and uh, went in there and just, you know, in beginning of middle of the second, first and second round, like Sean's like, what do I got to do to the body lock? And we just explained, I mean, Jordan just explained how to get out of the body lock and then he goes and does it and just knocks this dude out with a flying knee. It was just like, that's just his whole personality is like, you beat up Sean does not matter. And it's in the gym too, cause you can be on top of him in back control and he's just talking shit. <laughs> like, I'm gonna get out and beat you up. I'm gonna get out and beat you up. And then he gets out and beats you up, you know? Like it's, so that moment was also uh, pretty amazing. Cause you know, we had, we've been trying to get in there for a while. Like Ashley was on the contenders, I was on the, uh, ultimate fighter for the girls and then mm-hmm. we tried to get Sean on the ultimate fighter that same season Louise was on and then like you know just coming up short 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 getting him that big that big moment and then it happening like the way that it happened and then Dana White telling him hey we're bringing you in you know and that motivated him too because Dana told him he had a bad ground game and like Sean was kind of slack not much but kind of slacking on the ground game a uh-huh. little bit you know uh but then after that moment he was like nope we're grappling you yeah know, grappling 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 mm-hmm. grappling and he just gotten so much better you know that's huge yeah when you uh i know i said we were going to talk jujitsu but this is yeah. kind of jujitsu yeah uh when you look at his level of jujitsu for his division like in the yeah. ufc where what do you think like do you I guess the last time I really understood what UFC fighters felt yeah. like to roll with, it was yeah. eight, ten years ago, and the yeah. jiu-jitsu level yeah. was very low. Yeah. Do you feel like it's still there, or do you feel like the jiu-jitsu level is a lot higher in MMA now? I feel like it's still there. Yeah. But I feel like it's there for half the guys. Okay. Not all of them. Uh-huh. Half, I'd say about half the guys, maybe less than half the guys. Um, and I'm just talking about his division specifically. Mm-hmm. As a whole, yeah, probably half the guys. Yeah. But um, his division specifically, um, you've got a lot of guys with some pretty decent jiu-jitsu skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brian Ortega. Yeah, of course. You know, um, even even Volkanovski. Mm-hmm. Right? He is great. Yeah. His grappling's great. I mean, train a, a dude. Uh, you know, you look at the guys that that are there. It's like he's training with Craig Jones. Yeah. You know, all the time. It's like his grappling's not going to suck if yeah. he's training with Craig Jones all the time. It's just, and if he's like, sit there and listening to actually taking in what Craig Jones is saying and stuff like that, because that's one thing MMA fighters, not mine specifically, because I start mine out, you're doing jujitsu. Yeah. Right? And you're doing jujitsu until you're a competent level before you're even getting out there. Uh-huh. Um, and I feel like that's one thing with the MMA and like this, this area, like the state of Missouri in general. Um, the better guys that are sending people to those higher levels are doing a good job of is doing that. But as a whole, you, know, you got Ryan Hall in his division. You've got fucking uh, uh, Bryce Mitchell, uh-huh. um, even that Chase Hooper dude. But Chase Hooper is showing that, like, you know, he's got solid, solid grappling. But you know, he just, you know, basic heel hook game is mm-hmm. getting him a long way in there. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Ryan Hall is more advanced heel hook game, but it get taking him a long way. So. I think the way that we're training, like, you know, like I said, Saldana didn't even know what the buggy choke was. Yeah. You know, so it's still there, but I do think that's changing. And I do think that's the next thing we're going to start seeing going forward. Because I think ADCC is becoming significantly more popular and mm-hmm. guys are studying. Like I was out in Iowa and like Luis Saldana didn't know what the buggy choke was, but I had a guy almost pull one off on Saturday, this last Saturday. And the 
in the middle of Iowa, those guys are like, he's going for the buggy choke. So, you know, I feel like people are starting to take more notice of that advanced jiu-jitsu. And I think the reason that it's getting a little better in MMA is because, you know, Gordon Ryan probably is the main factor. Mm-hmm. We all watch Gordon Ryan, like even... Mm-hmm. Whether you watch him because you like him, you yeah. watch him because you hate him, you watch him. And it's like, you don't have to even like jiu-jitsu. It's just like his personality, you know? So mm-hmm. MMA fighters are watching him, you know? Yeah. And they're watching that game and they're like, okay, this shit's gonna work. You know, we've been seeing more leg locks. Yeah. Like more leg locks than ever in MMA. And it's, you know... It's what I've been preaching for a while. It's like learn leg locks. Like you saw Danny. I don't know if you watched his fight. I didn't Moriarty. watch it. No, I not the last it. one. The one before. I don't know. I have a guy named Danny Moriarty. I know. I, He's I, like, I know. I watched yeah. his last fight or the one before. The one, not before. the one that he just had. Yeah, the, one, the one that one he before. got. A, he got a heel hook. In. Okay. Yeah, yeah he heel hooked that dude and like uh, that dude didn't know what a mm-hmm. what was going on. He didn't know how to get out. <laughs> and uh, and then he did it again. This last this last fight. You know, he slipped and the guy got on top of him and he just went for a leg lock and the guy just bailed. So I think that's actually a thing that we're going to be seeing more in MMA coming forward is a more leg lock game, buggy mm-hmm. chokes, more of that, like more of the kind of ADCC style jujitsu, mm-hmm. which is what you have to kind of use in MMA. Cause, yeah, yeah, because the top is super valuable and if yeah. you're on bottom, you should try to submit people or get mm-hmm. up. You and know? just the aspect of what did we see in ADCC? We saw a guy's turtle to stand a lot. Mm-hmm. That's what we've been seeing that in MMA for years. Mm-hmm. And also like, I think they're kind of blending more into each other. Um, cause I think MMA and like ADCC specifically are very closely related and always mm-hmm. have been, you know, you got Mark Kerr, Josh Barnett, those guys always in it. You know, George St. Pierre was in it. Like, you know, we don't get a lot of MMA guys winning it, but like you uh-huh. got a lot of MMA guys crossing over. Cause I think the rule sets are, I think the ADCC rule set is perfect for MMA. Yeah. It's all about getting up. It's all about, you know, what's the rule for, for takedowns and passing 75% of your back on the ground. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're just not 75%, back on the ground that's basically mma you know uh-huh. you're never letting the guy get you flat on your back coming up turning up so i think the level's going to be going more in that direction and in sean's weight class specifically i think there are some good guys with their jiu-jitsu i do think his advantage in that division is there are not a lot of high level wrestlers at 45 they're mm-hmm. not but there are good jiu-jitsu guys mm-hmm. and there's a lot of good strikers in that division but he is the tallest one in that division and in the one above him. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly. pretty crazy. Yes. So um, we both watch ADCC. Yeah. Probably every match. Oh, yeah. What were, obviously, you said you mentioned the belly down and yes. stand up. That was yes. actually what I told my students that on Monday, so it was on, uh, ended on Sunday, on Monday night class, that was the, hey, this is the big thing I noticed. Everybody belly down, the guys that were good at it, one, the guys yeah. that weren't good at it lost, yes. you know? And uh, what else did you notice besides the belly down that were like kind of trends or things that could be exploited or anything like that? Uh, the biggest trend, I'm not even talking about just the, the t- technique and the grappling in general, but the biggest thing is ADC is like becoming the greatest grappling show oh, I've man. ever seen. Like I thought Vegas was amazing when yeah. I went there and this was better and I wasn't even there. I know. I was like, oh my God, I wish I was there. I know. Because they're playing, like Gordon Ryan goes out there and sits down and they just start playing like EDM hip hop music. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, here it is again, just uh-huh. like the Vegas show. But um, like I could only imagine how great it was. My buddy Cody was there and we talked to him like the whole time, Cody Kellison. So uh-huh. yeah, oh my God, it was amazing. But yeah. Other than that, I think it's going to keep getting better and bigger. I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest trend that came from this one is it's just going to keep getting bigger and better yeah. and uh, more West Coast 
looking, I think, which is, I'm not complaining about yeah, that. I it's agree. awesome. I think it's great. I think it fits the jujitsu vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, other things, man, the arm bar came back with a vengeance. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. It really uh, did. <laughs> it really did. It was either second or third most submission. I want to say it might've been second. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was above the leg locks, Uh huh. above heel hooks. And, uh, I feel like you see Mika, he pulled yeah. him off. He he was really the first guy to yeah. consistently start pulling them off again, yeah. especially in Nogi. Yes. And he was hitting. Obviously, Gordon, you know, yeah. hits everybody with whatever. Yeah, whatever um, he wants. Yeah, but, uh, um, and he has a unique arm bar that he plays yeah. too. But uh, I really think Mika showed like hey you can just armbar people if you yeah. control their shoulder you can just yeah. armbar anyone it doesn't yeah. matter what the angle is mm -hmm. if you have control of their shoulder yeah. and uh, i just think that he really changed that a lot of people saw and go oh you can just armbar people yeah. sweet <laughs> yeah what do you think um as you have because we we're just talking about how you have some guys that you're going to mm -hmm. push towards the next yeah. um west coast trials what do you yeah. think that over these next I think it's like 13 months that yeah. the next trials are. Uh, what should they be working during um, that time? Definitely, if they're not hip on at the lower body game. Yeah. It's like, even if you're, it's not like your, your forte, like you have to be good at it now. Mm -hmm. Right? You don't have to be that guy that just goes out and leg locks everyone, sits to their butt and like spins for leg locks, and that's all you do. But you have to be just as adept in it as if you were to like take the back. It's like an essential of jujitsu now. Yeah. Or escaping or anything like that. So, both defensive and offensively. Um, I think the guys that were slacking on it a little bit got exposed. Yeah. Got exposed. Um, Roberto's just having a hard time dealing with it. He really is. He really dude. is, and you, you gotta be good at it. And that's the one thing, that classical jiu-jitsu style still works, right? But you have to have that area of your game complete to compete at the high levels mm -hmm. in, in this. Because like, Roberto can go out there and play his basic jiu-jitsu game and look amazing, but the second someone goes on his legs, it's just like, I mean, if they're not like, it's only like the like top 1% of, of dudes that are getting them. So, uh -huh. but you got to be at that level in your leg lock game yeah. in order to, in order to compete. I think that's a big one. Um, learning how to pass into things other than side control. Yes. <laughs> Passing into side control, I think is going to become uh, a thing of the past when going with really long winky guys because of the buggy choke alone yeah. specifically. I just, that's just what it looked like. If you were going with a guy with a good buggy choke, passing into side control is a flat out just like bad idea mm -hmm. you know uh uh j-rod you know like tap like high level black belts are getting caught in that shit and, with him and he won the you know he won yeah. the, the finals of the west coast trials with it yeah so it's just like damn like there's that attack you gotta be good like the mountain back are pretty much i think becoming more of the stable dominant positions like i feel like you saw a lot more good mount and probably because of gordon like he mm -hmm. so preaches it so much but um as opposed to to side control because these long guys are just kind of going to get you. And you can almost argue that side control has never really made sense. Yeah. Uh, and most people play side control because they have bad mount. Yeah. But if you really think about it, when you're passing somebody, especially somebody good, you yeah. have to control their legs and then their hips. Yes. Why do you then let go of their hips to control their upper body yeah. and not touch their hips anymore? Mm -hmm. uh, my argument would be to stall. Yeah, that's just stall. Yeah, yes, and you can't stall anymore there because mm -hmm. that's literally you stall. Buggy chokes us right there. It you know? really is. Yes, it's just, for anyone with any sort of length or flexibility going against anyone relative relatively close to their size. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there are some restrictions like yeah, you're not gonna you're gonna struggle if you're 
five four going against like a you know six foot guy in an open weight match but if the guy's relatively the same size as you and you have a decent amount of length and flexibility like i've noticed guys are still able to hit it it's a very popular submission in my gym so all right <laughs> very popular <laughs> so mop yeah what about the gi what about the gi Man, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't train in the gi very often. When's, when's the last time you trained in the gi? Well, I, I, I teach it, so like it's still a thing, and I train it and I drill it a lot. You know, like uh -huh. I'll drill, like, and I have a couple students that are still very. So you're very secretly good. training in the gi. Yes, but it's a, it's like, a secret. Oh, I don't, I don't gi train. Is this lot? Are we going? Uh, We're not that, live. We're edit not that live. part out. <laughs> but uh, no, I still, I still train in it, but it's like, and I still love it because like I trained it since I was a, a child, so mm -hmm. I still enjoy it. But it's just like not as conducive to my goals um, as a coach or as a competitor. I have guys that are really good in the gi and I push it and I, and I help them and I, and I have a solid gi jiu-jitsu group, but the size difference of my academy on a gi jiu-jitsu night and a no gi jiu-jitsu night is uh, completely different. Really? Oh my God, yes, it's so different. And I teach no gi almost every night of the week. Uh -huh. And you know, I teach the gi you know, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I have one of my students, I mean, one, Monday and Wednesday, and I have one of my students teaching on Thursday, and I teach it every day during the day, okay. during the daytime. Um, but it's just not as much of what my students are interested in. Interesting. And it's not our niche, you know, like, I could lie and like, say I'm gonna compete with like, you know, like, uh, you know, my, even my uh, affiliate, the people I'm affiliated with, you know, like JW school, like I can't, honestly be like, oh, I'm gonna teach the gi better than them. It's just not, you know, and you know, they're all close and I don't really wanna compete with them, uh -huh. you know? I got Phil's and Phil Lampy's school in Wentzville. It's like, you know, five miles away, mm -hmm. you know, and that's more his specialty and their specialty. And I'm like, all right, what can I do different to set myself aside from um, the other people in the area? And I was like, well, you've got a lot of 10th Planet schools, you know, kind of around, but I wanna be like, you know, like uh, that school that, mostly focuses on nogi and MMA and uh, be a little bit different than the other one with like a background that I do, you know, like I'm under Hoyler, you know, uh -huh. like, so like that kind of background, but I was like, I want to be able to offer more also when we do these team competitions, you know, I'm under Humida. Yeah. As, as a school, we were under Humida, under JW, like I've been training with him since I was a child, yeah. first day, um, black belt under him. So what can I do to not even compete with my guys that are close to me? And how can I get more team points on the board for our gym? And I'm like, oh, well, they don't focus on Nogi very much. That's yeah. gonna be our focus. And Jay sends me his guys to come train Nogi. He sends me his guys to come train MMA. And I send all my guys over there to train in the Gi, mm -hmm. you know, cause I'm really for cross training. I got guys that train everywhere. And the guys that are all interested in the Gi, they tend to train more at the schools that you know, I say it's cool to train at. You know, mm -hmm. they go to Revive, they go to JWs, they, you know, Joel comes down here sometimes, you know, like, mm -hmm. or used to, I don't know what he does. No, he was just in like, yeah. like two weeks ago. Yeah, so. I'll be honest with you, just between me and you and yeah. nobody else, uh, <laughs> uh, man, I was beating Joel down. Oh yeah, okay. I was, I was right. bringing nice. it to him. Thank you, I appreciate he that. He kind of, I think he was like, okay, you know, Josh looks a little small. Yeah. You know, I think he's, I'm thinking I'm gonna be oh, yeah. And I just, I was like, oh, okay, oh. I've been sitting out five rounds. <laughs> Joel's, Joel's just been rolling. I've been telling guys, yeah. hey, go get Joel. Go get Joel. And then I, I got yeah. him. I interesting was character, yeah. <laughs> interesting guy. He's an interesting guy. <laughs> He's an interesting guy. He, we have a, we have a uh, saying in our, in our academy, right? We have, a, we have a rule, right? If you're going to strip down to the bear, you know, mm -hmm. in the locker room, you first have to yell to everybody, hey, I'm about to do a Joel. 
So that there's a warning because, you know, Joel, you know, he doesn't really give much of a warning. You know, uh -huh. it's like you're talking to him. Hey. Oh, so, uh, yeah, it's a good roll we had earlier. Yeah. Like, cool, bro. bro. We're not even, <laughs> the rest time hasn't even ended yet. We're still on the mat. Man. Yeah. The funny part about this conversation is that Joel's at home laughing at this hysterically. Like, <laughs> like, ah, yeah, that's <laughs> In every jiu-jitsu school. Yeah. We have a Joel. Yeah, every one of them. Every one uh, of them. Every one of them. You know? Joel's just an especially Joel person, you know? Uh -huh. it's, it's, I love it. It's great. Every one of them has at least one, like, very wise old guy yeah. who's just a little too gritty, oh, you yeah. know? I have guys that I, like, at my school, they'll be rolling, and I'm like, I don't like, I don't even like yeah. watching this guy, because he's, he's old, and his body is old, but yeah. his mind is still tough, and he yeah. can still do a lot. We all have that guy that the, the coach watches, and you're like, D "Hey, you shouldn't be rolling with that young guy. You should you shouldn't be you shouldn't be eating that armbar so much." Yeah, uh, we all have these interesting characters oh, at, yeah. at jujitsu schools. Yes, I've, I've I've many. I found that the MMA attracts strange people. Oh, gosh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> strange dude. people. Yeah, you, you, and then gi attracts strange enough people. Yeah, but when you take that off, yeah. the group that you get. Yeah. The uh, the amount of people that you get is yeah. it's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that was pretty much going back to you know the, my lack of of gi uh -huh. of gi focus. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I've I've just you know I've just kind of outsourced that a little bit, and then you know I still teach it, still train it, still go over to Jay's and train it, and still passionate about it. But you know I watch all the well most I watch like worlds, but that's about it. Yeah. But, yeah, mostly mostly nogi, and it's worked out because once we did started, we did start, um, you know, I officially. It took me about two years to really get with JW again. But once we started to, because I got sick of losing the state tournament every year, <laughs> so I was like, man, let me join, let me join you guys, and then like, you know, he got more affiliate schools, and like, we definitely overcrowd the place, which is oh man, which is great. That's but, that's yeah. a great feeling. Yes, isn't it? Yo, you yeah. go to so sometimes we'll go to Chicago Open. Yeah. And we'll be all be tag team, and then yeah. Mark Vives has just this monster presence yeah. in the Chicago area. So our team is is big, and then everybody knows, hey, we're probably going to win Chicago. Yeah. So send everybody. Yeah. And so we'll walk in sometimes, and we'll be like, guys, two hours into this tournament, we're yeah. we're, we're, we're untouchable. No yeah. one's you know just because you have so many people, and it doesn't matter how many people you have yeah. if you're the champion. You yeah. know, yeah. it's just like it's, it's just over. like at the local MMA yeah. show. You get to be king for a day. Exactly. You know, that's like great. all your it. advertising is like, yeah, state champions. You yeah. know, yeah, Chicago Open champ, mm -hmm. whatever. Yep. You know, even though it wasn't just our school, it was like fifteen other schools that yeah. we're friends with. Hey, that's us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And we we consistently put like uh, I don't know. It's it's probably close. I haven't really done the math, but like Sean Woods' school puts a lot of nogi points on the board too. But you know, we consistently put high nogi points mm -hmm. on the board for the for for the affiliation. And you know, my, um, I made it like a goal because like you know, Vagi had won it two years in a row, and I was been telling my guys, I was like, hey, we need now that we're part of Humida, we're we're putting points on the board, mm -hmm. and we're we're taking this this trophy home, right? Yeah. Let's do it. And the first year we did it, we fell two points short. Ah. Two points short of the adult trophy. And, you know, I brought my guys back and I was like, we're training all year for that. You know, we're training all year for this one tournament. It was like a cool thing that really brought the MMA guys were all like, all right, we're not doing any fights in this month. 
no fights in that month, no fights a few weeks before it, and like everybody was just ready. All my MMA fighters were just ready to go. We did okay in the gi. We definitely did did very well in the gi, but nothing compared to how well we did in no gi. Mm-hmm. Like we did pretty well in no gi. I had some advanced guys like, you know, Austin Smith went out there and submitted everybody in his expert division like, like fucking a minute each time. Just That's awesome. Like, he's a little ahead of. He was a little ahead of the area in the leg lot, like more advanced because he went to Donahue School for a year. I mean, for a, a whole summer and trained there. So. He got a little bit of like the upfront stuff. Yeah. And he's like, this is what these guys said. And, you know, he did pretty good. But yeah, I feel like that little area, we focus a lot on, on like the meta game of what's going on in no gi. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it doesn't really transfer much to the gi as yeah. much, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh man, this is illegal. This is illegal. This is illegal. <laughs> this is illegal. You know? So, so yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that, that's why we're focused. That's why I don't really focus on the gi too much. <laughs> I, right, I get it. I get it. Bryce, what's our time at? Like 40 minutes. 40 all right, minutes. Damn. Okay. All right. So um, I have just a few more questions. Okay. You know, I'm sure that there will be follow-up on all these different questions. Yeah. Um, but with your program right now, you have a... We got to talk a lot about this when we were yeah. in Vegas. You have... Um, kind of like all kinds of different specific coaches at yeah. your gym at yes. one time, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're running a, let's say you're like pro MMA program, yeah. uh, could you just explain kind of how it's run and yes. uh, especially with your all the specific coaches you have? Yes, so I ask every one of my students to put complete and trust in me as a coach, right? I'm like, you can challenge my philosophies a little bit or you can challenge some of the techniques and I'm cool with that. I like 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 them to challenge me a little bit as a coach to bring my own standards up higher but i'm like but at the end of the day i need you to like constantly open yourself up for my instruction and believe in what i'm talking about what i'm doing so because i asked that of them and i asked them of that all my coach all my coaches in my gym i have complete and utter trust in every single coach that i put on the staff right Mm -hmm. and um opening open to everything that they say and all their opinions so Everyone that steps into the academy, they almost all of them, all the younger men, they all want to do MMA when yeah. they walk in. So I'll kind of explain the process we go we go through. So they have to do everything all together. They the MMA class is privately run, completely exclusive to the competition MMA team. So if you want to be an MMA fighter at a gym, it number one has to be a goal uh-huh. of yours, and you have to be competent. I'll make exceptions for some of the higher level students that don't want to compete that are that are good, uh-huh. and I'm like, okay, cool, you can come in and be a body if you yeah. want. But mostly, the focus is on the competition and winning high-level events and getting to the UFC. So if they have that goal in mind, they come in, I start them out with doing the boxing class, the kickboxing class, the wrestling class, and the jiu-jitsu class, all independently, right? Then as they progress, my coaches are have the full authority to tell them, hey, go to sparring. Because mm-hmm. our sparring is the same way, exclusive only to competition students, competition team, high level, no newbies in sparring. That's how people get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to work up to all that. So everything is like this work up base, goal oriented on this one thing at the top of the mountain. And my students get obsessed with it. Yeah, They get completely obsessed with it. And it makes them train significantly harder and like yell at them and tell them to come more and more. But I trust my coaches to be like, hey, this guy's ready for this. This mm-hmm. guy's ready for this. So they communicate that with me. And sometimes they don't even, sometimes I just send them. And if they come in and they say, hey, Seth and Chuck told me to come in today, I'm like, all right, put on your gear, let's go. So that's how I work with the coaching. I don't micromanage anything. Mm-hmm. I don't go in there saying, hey, you need to teach this, you need to teach that. They do that. 
and I give them complete authority to do so, and then send guys my way. They understand my standards. They slip up every once, slip up every once in a while, but we fix it. <laughs> but uh, then they come to the competition MMA team, and they start on our Monday night where we just do technique and cardio. And our Wednesday night is this extremely hard night where I've, I've had travelers come in thinking they want to come to our gym. They go there and they die. Yeah. Like it's like we call it grind night, and it's like 20 minutes of instruction, and then we just positional sparring for. 30, 35 minutes and no, no real breaks, uh -huh. 30 second breaks in between rounds and to find another partner and then go, you know? And it's hard and it's brutal and people throwing up, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> but yeah, but that's why it's like invite only, so it's yeah. like that. And then um, that's specifically for MMA program, everything works. So we're just, uh, we're a unit and I communicate mostly with that unit and not really the, they come up to me and like, hey, what do I gotta do to do MMA? And I'm like, well, you gotta go until he says you can do it, so. Yeah. You know, it's pretty much how it works. Um, so uh, when you do, and then is each, are your pro classes like um, one night it's jujitsu sparring, one night it's stand-up you know, sparring, what are the, how do you kind of break up your pro classes? In our, in our MMA class? Yeah. I assume that they know specific things when coming to the class, okay. right? So I assume certain things are known to all of them. If they're not, I've done a bad job and my other coaches have, have, have not, done, I'm never going to say they're going to do a bad job. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see that when they came in and send them back and say, hey, he really needs to work on this. So certain things are known. So I feel like I don't have to break it up. You're already doing your jujitsu training. You're already doing your striking training. This is MMA specific positioning stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're talking like we do striking to takedown, something you only see in MMA. Mm -hmm. We do wall work with strikes, something you only see in MMA, get up drills. Um, positional drills where we're on top, and it's all that's all blended into that, right? And we don't really we don't focus on anything that isn't specific to MMA that you wouldn't see in other areas. So that's where the splitting up of the of the martial arts comes in. Like everybody trains something separate until they're proficient at each thing, and then uh -huh. they come in. They already know certain things. They already know how to jab. They already know how to punch. I don't need to teach them that, right? So it's like, all right, these are the combinations and the and the tactics that they're using at the high level right now. And then we're gonna drill them, and then we're gonna train them. Mm -hmm. And then that's how that specifically goes out. And then on Sunday, we just spar. We do 30 minutes of kickboxing sparring to get warmed up, boom, right into the MMA sparring. So, man, there's all that. <laughs> there, so, what, what are some of the things that you say? You say, you, um, I, there are certain things I assume you know. Yes. Um, what are some things that you assume are going to be known for somebody that's in your MMA program? You know how to punch and throw a kick. That's number one. I okay. shouldn't have to explain that shit. Okay. <laughs> <You know>? okay. <laughs> shouldn't have to explain it at all. You should know it when you walk in there. Uh -huh. Which is why sometimes I get guys from other gym who won't think they're just going to be on the MMA competition team right away. They come in and I'm like, no, nah, bro, you're back at boxing. Yeah. You know? And usually I let them do like just the technique version, but... That, um, you know how to shoot a takedown. Yeah. You know how to work on the, the working on the wall is something that we specifically do in the MMA class, but if you've been there in our competition jiu-jitsu class, we're doing takedowns off the wall all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just a semi-knowledge of how to wrestle, uh, at least a few stripes on the belt in jiu-jitsu, right? You gotta know, and, and, and preferably a couple of competitions. Mm -hmm. before they're on that that team and then you know you've had to have sparred in boxing a few times because we spar in our boxing class and uh yeah th those things getting up how to how to how to shrimp how to like basic jujitsu basic boxing basic wrestling if i feel like i have to explain that to you when you come in the class i'm like no and my jujitsu classes and my mma classes for the portions that i teach 
are generally run alongside what we're going over in jujitsu. That makes sense. So I, so like you're learning all that, you should already have that down by the time you get in here. I shouldn't have to explain it. So I would say much more fast-paced instruction, like quick. We're working the whole time, not getting comfortable, and then getting them as tired as humanly possible afterwards. Because huh. conditioning is probably, I mean, skill is the most important thing in in fighting, but conditioning is like, oh, it just nudges right up against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, how long do you have to be in the program before you can fight? Uh, it depends, but usually about six months to a year. Okay. I hold my guys back mm-hmm. when it comes to to fighting. I'm like, we're not going in here until you're confident. Like, this is not, I'll throw you in a jiu-jitsu tournament in week three. Week three if you want. But when you're getting bludgeoned in the head, and like, I hate losing, so I hate when my guys lose. It just uh-huh. drives me crazy, <laughs> depending on how they lose especially. But like, I'm obsessed with it, so it's just like, if you're not gonna, if I'm not, if you're not obsessed with it, I'm not obsessed with it. So if you can't wait six months to do a fight to a year sometimes, sometimes longer. Like, mm-hmm. I got guys begging me for fights, and I'm like, you're not ready, you're not ready, yeah. you're not ready. You know, especially because the competition in this area in terms of skill has gone up way up yeah. since the commission took over everything. Because uh-huh. you're not you're not allowed you can't pull a guy from the from the crowd, crowd yeah. and, and put him in there and be like, All right, you're fighting. Uh-huh. You, know, you can't do that. You can't do that at all anymore. So yeah, you gotta be competent. Like you got like glory out there. Uh, we consider we consider glory like main competition. Yeah. Like, and it's very friendly and fun, right? Yeah. Very friendly and fun. But those guys are the, you know, they're the best guys around. So it's like, oh, I wanna, we want to compete against those guys, and we want to do well against those guys. You know, we want to be good local competition for each other, because I got so many good guys there. So you know, you better be competent. You know, I look at the guys around to judge where the where the bar is. Mm-hmm. There's a bar, and your bar is usually set locally, right? Like, okay, what are the other guys doing? Because I'm not just gonna send my guys out to get slaughtered by mm-hmm. where the bar is. You know, like yeah. you got to be there. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so I kind of consider them the bar. So I'm like, all right, they're, you know, it's the same thing. Like, you know, I would consider like, you know, the Pedago guys are like a good bar for a lot of guys mm-hmm. around here. Competition wise, like, you know, you want to be able to compete against those guys before I, before I promote you to a blue belt, you better be able to compete with their white belts. You uh-huh. know what I mean? So, you know, I, and it's always moving, you know, the skill level for which you'd send your guys out there is going up consistently yeah which is a good thing it's an amazing thing it's, it's amazingly for the area i think the missouri scene as a whole has gotten way better in the past five years like you can't even explain how much better it is like yeah and the better shows better competitions like you're saying earlier like is the jujitsu gap still there well it's closing because of stuff like that mm-hmm. because i'm going to send one of my blue belts out there for his first fight you know, and if your guy's not a blue belt, he's probably getting choked out. Yeah. You know, but if he is a, if he is around that rank, he could stuff to take down, get back up to his feet. You know, take you down because you want your guys to be well rounded. But yeah, like uh, it, it's going up and up and up and up, and you know that's why my standards keep going up and up as well. It's all I think it's all dictated locally. So more competition locally is always going to be a net good for everybody. Oh my gosh, yeah. Some people don't understand that. Uh-huh. And people get offended by that, like, I should be the only... Do-. No, I don't want to be the only school in town. Because mm-hmm. who are you going to fight? I don't want to be the only good school in town either. I want everyone to be fucking awesome so mm-hmm. that I have to be like, oh, I have to pull my hair out to try and get these guys wins, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the higher up we compete, like, we did LFA recently, and, you know, Danny won, but, you know, he didn't have the kind of performance that we wanted him to have. And then we went to Iowa the other day, and we didn't want those guys to have the performance they have, but they were fighting amazing competition, like, mm-hmm. really good guys. 
You know, like I would show, we fought a college wrestler every single, every single one, every single time, <laughs> who, who had like a blue belt of jujitsu and seven amateur boxing matches. Seven, mm-hmm. You know, like these guys were beasts. Yeah. You know, so we, uh, it, so those kind of standards, I think are just, they're so good. And as we've been fighting higher competition, we've been losing more than we ever have or having more flat performances against these guys out of state. You know, I'm pulling my hair out. They're getting better every single time. And it's like, that's how it should be. You know? Yeah. That's how it should be. The, the bar needs to be high. And I'm very optimistic about where the bar is right now for the area. So um, just one more question on this. Yeah. How, how long would you say your average person has that walks into your gym from day one with no experience yeah. in any martial art how long before their first amateur MMA fight if they are super committed? Uh, two to three years. Two to three years. How long before their first pro fight if they are super committed uh, and they start doing well as an amateur? It depends, but Sam's been with us. I'm using Sam as a standard right now because I've had him from his first fight to his all of his fights, yeah, all of his amateur fights. He did have a boxing background of like and a wrestling background when he came in. So he'd been boxing since for like eight years and wrestling for seven years so he's not the best example but uh, I can length give you an idea of how much length is going to be added to this so he came in and then he had his first fight in a month because of the background Mm -hmm. and he was just talented right away and he had an amateur career from the age of 18 to the age of 21 19 20 21 so four years right plus his boxing background which was about five or six years, and his wrestling background, which was which was four years, and he was wrestling in college. So you've got you know, what like seven eight years. Yeah. So yeah, that's about your your first pro fight time. Oh, you got to be training for about that long. Uh, I know Donaher says you know five years. Yeah. You can reinvent yourself or with concentration. So I could say five years for the ultra talented. Uh, five years before the first pro fight, but I would I would say six to seven years. You know, like. If you really want to do it for real, like yeah. if your goal is like the UFC, like if your goal is to fight locally, regionally as a pro, it, it shifts it's a little bit. Yeah, shifts a little bit. I'm gonna rush you a little bit, or if you're a little bit older, I'm gonna rush you a little bit. But yeah, I mean, ideally, I would like someone to come in at 18 and turn pro by 25, 26. You know, and if they come in at 14, we push that back down more. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm very strict with who I let fight and who I let turn pro. Like sometimes I get pros, and that sucks. Yeah. It sucks when I get pros because it's like, all right, you're already pro. I can't do anything with you. Um, but yeah, and you know, I want to talk about this just a little bit anyway. So I wanted to bring this up because a lot of people don't know about what the amateur scene actually looks like in the world right now because mm-hmm. we're in America. And, yeah. and that's kind of, I mean, I love being in America, but it's kind of unfortunate for the amateur MMA scene because the rest of the world's going to pass us up pretty soon, uh-huh. right? You know, uh, without a doubt. They're already doing it. They're already doing it. Um, America does traditionally have like some of the best fighters in the world, you know, but in the amateur scene right now, and this is why I would say it would be taking longer for anyone to turn pro in my gym. In the amateur scene right now, there are two organizations called IMAF and Gamma, right? They exist in Asia and Europe. Um, and they, they attract people from all over the world. But think of this as like the Olympics of MMA, amateurs only, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about five, 600 competitors at the world tournament, um, all different weight class, five, five, six cages at, at one time. And they're getting everybody from all over the world, uh-huh. all over the world. America currently doesn't have a team. Yeah. They were the first team ever, but they currently don't have a team. 
but they're like rebuilding their team right now and there's no way that any of my amateurs are turning pro before doing that like traveling around and doing it because people don't know about it but it's a huge like they're talking almost every country yeah and huge teams really talented teams if you look at the guys that are making it right now in the ufc that are like superstars off the bat 21 22 23 monsters from these dagestani countries uh-huh. or in any of these eastern european countries or some western european countries too ireland um and parts of the middle east and, and asia as well for a lot of these guys a lot of these guys are coming from there like uh that dude that fought Charles Johnson, um, Mokayev, mm-hmm. two-time, two-time IMF world champion. Okay. And most highly touted person at 125 right now, maybe in the UFC. That's I'm telling this guy's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Chemaev, those guys—they all competed in this thing. Like those guys are the are the are, they were killing. They're killing it. This is like, if you want to talk about, because earlier you asked about best experience. Yeah. We were talking about the UFC. Yeah. Outside of the UFC, um, that is probably the best experience I've ever had in MMA. Really? Uh, we flew to Bahrain with Sam because he was the tough enough, two-time tough enough champion. So, and then he won a, uh, um, a tournament. So there's this national tournament. Very poorly run in the United States comparatively to other. And financing has always been the issue with that. They're not uh-huh. government sponsored. These guys are getting paid by their governments to compete. These amateurs. Paid by their governments to compete. That's why Russia wins almost every year. Uh-huh. Um, we flew over there to Bahrain. We raised a bunch of money to get him because Sam's a marketable guy. Uh, we go into the airport. You know, we're, we're, we're flying to Germany, then Saudi Arabia, then to Bahrain, which is a little island, like Mortal Kombat shit, right? Uh-huh. In the middle of the ocean, of the middle of what, like the Mediterranean, uh, the, the Red Sea, I think. Yeah, right yeah, off I'm the, not the Arab- guy, I'm not the guy to ask. Right off this. the Ar- 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 Arabic Peninsula, right? Like it's right next to Saudi Arabia. Crazy, small little island, drive across it in a day. Um, and they pull us in, they take care of us, we go to the hotel, we meet up with the team, have like a team meeting, we're talking about like, it, I mean, the national tournament was held in Missouri, so you can kind of think that mm-hmm. like, it wasn't like the biggest team in the world. Yeah. And I could go on and on about the politics behind it, but I'm not gonna do that today. Yeah. But more or less, the team doesn't really exist right now. Um, they're rebuilding it. So, uh, um, Fly us over there, we enter an arena, and this arena is packed. I mean, packed. Thousands of people all over the country. Huge production. I'm talking, they had to have put millions into this thing. Uh-huh. Five different cages, just competitors going. Think of it like ADCC, how they were doing a bunch of matches at the same time. Thousands of people in the stands, amateur fighters from all over the country fighting. You know, you're wearing shin pads, bigger gloves, and just looking like high level pros in these European countries. And that's their standard of competition for turning pro in those countries. Some of those guys only do IMF tournaments. Wow. And I'm saying like, uh, it was, Sam was the number one ranked 125 or 135 in the country. We went over there um, on typology and he had the tough enough belts and he got beat when he was there. So <laughs> that's the level of competition we're talking about by some Brazilian guy. Brazil's got a big team, but these countries have huge teams and we're not involved in it. We're not involved in this world tournament where you're going to be competing against all the guys that are eventually going to be in the UFC. That's crazy. They're all going to, all the winners are eventually going to be in the UFC because they're going to have the right marketing behind them from their country, and they're going to be competing at a high level against other guys that are going in the tank. Because you know this is generational. Fighting is generational. Yeah. You have your generation here, then the one under it, then the one under it, and then sometimes they cross 
generations, but generally it's just always generation by generation. So you're looking at a situation right now with bo like how it is in boxing, where you're going to be competing in the amateurs with the same guys you're going to be competing with in the pros, mm -hmm. right? And they're getting that kind of experience against those kind of guys, and we're not. That makes sense. And we're not like it's not. We're currently trying to get in with them to redo it because I've already coached on there, mm -hmm. right? And we have a team for Gamma, which is the Asian version of that, not the Middle Eastern and European. There are a lot of Asians that do compete in it, but the Gamma version of it. Um, and these are the guys that when they're coming right out of this tournament are getting offers for LFA, are getting offers for, you know, to eventually be in the UFC, offers like that, because UFC sponsors it over there. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like this amazing event. Did you know about it before I mentioned it? I, it besides you and I talking about it, yeah, no. Like, exactly. you're yeah. the only person who's ever told me about it. Exactly. And it's, and it's, and you look at the guys like, you know who Ben Bennett is? He, used to train, he was from yeah. Missouri, yeah. So he won that thing, right? One of my best friends. Uh -huh. I fucking love the dude hate him too but you know i mean he's three and one as a pro now but like he has a tremendous amount of marketing behind him because of it darian weeks who's in the ufc you know he just lost he just lost but when he was coming up that's all they talked about imf uh, uh oceanic world champion because they do tournaments all over the world yeah like there's a pan am championship there's an oceanic championship an asian championship a European championship, and they're packed. South African championship, they're packed, and like they're getting guys from all over the world. We went down to Pan. Uh, we went down to uh, the Bahamas to do the Pan Am Championships, and Mexico had like this phenomenal team, this phenomenal team with fighters from other countries that moved to Mexico because government was going to train them to, to to fight. And like these guys are amazing. You watch these high-level pros, and on the last day, there's one cage. They do them in order. The place is packed, completely packed. And then they do a huge Brave show, which is like a Middle Eastern uh, promotion that's also packed, and all these guys are going to the UFC too. This is eventually going to be the pattern for the guys that are have the huge marketing pushes when they go right into the UFC. Like all these guys that are winning, like you wouldn't even know they're IMF champions. They all have huge market pushes from the UFC mm -hmm. because they had huge market pushes from the promotions that were there before them, and because they had huge market pushes from being at the top of the ladder on that podium, it means something. Right? They love you if you win it. They will help you the whole way. You will get gold treatment, just like Floyd did, from winning, just like Tyson did uh -huh. from winning these medals in the Olympics. It's the exact same thing. And as a country, we are completely missing out on it. Wow. Our kids aren't. The kids program is amazing. Uh -huh. The junior one, amazing. Adult, non-existent. Really? Yes, non-existent. Man. That's, that is Isn't that crazy? crazy? That it's really a, is This crazy. Mortal Kombat tournament in a Middle Eastern island that you didn't, never knew about. That. The rest of the country does. If you go over to Europe, they all know about it. They're like, oh yeah, I'm F champion. Ireland, they, the Ireland, they send, Ireland sends one of the best teams. The Russians send the best team every single year. The Bahrainians send a great team, but they're all Russians. <laughs> <laughs> they're, all, they're all like, hey, you live here now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's been Bahrainian, look at his birth certificate. He's speaking Russian. <laughs> all right, Ma, we're getting close to the end. Um, Instead, it seems like we spend a, a, so, so long on each topic. So yeah. instead, I figured we could even spend a little time on this topic. But I okay. finished the same way um, on every podcast. Yeah. It's with the question, what is some of the best, I usually ask some of the best jujitsu advice that you've ever gotten. But let's just say martial arts advice yeah. that you have gotten. And it could be on the mat advice, off the mat advice. It could be anything. Oh, man. I mean, I could, I could name a few. You want me to narrow it down to one or a couple? Well, let's go. Give me a few. We've Give you a time. few. Uh, pick your significant other really well. Ooh. That's okay. my biggest one. That's a really, that's a great piece of advice. Yes. Do you have, uh, is there a reason that this is a rule? Because I've seen that 
ruined more careers than anything else. Hmm. Uh, did, I, I can't even, I, I can name, a, you, could probably, you could probably name a bunch of people. I can. I'm not going to name anybody that's rude, but yeah. like it's, it's a significant amount of people where you find a significant other that does not push your career in the right direction, mm-hmm. you know, that does the exact opposite. I'll use, you know, Ashley Cummins? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'll use her as an example. She picked a significant other that pushed her further than she probably ever could have pushed by herself. She was already a hard worker, but up here, mm-hmm. her fiance now pushed her, right? Pushed her, pushed her, pushed her to make the right decisions, to do the right training, and it never at any point pulled her away. Like that's the huge part. Like don't, you don't want someone that pulls you away. Yeah. I've been in relationships where I've been pulled away and I've been in ones where I've been pushed forward. You know, yeah. so that's a, it's a big one because you're not gonna make it if, 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 you know, if you have a significant other that you like are re- very passionate about that's yeah. like, hey, don't go to the gym. You know, hey, this isn't important enough. Hey, mm-hmm. you're not making any money. And it's like fighting is a dream, right? You need to have someone that sees the dream with you in order to, to get yeah. ahead and that goes being competitive in any anything you know like the the significant other you pick it's gonna be huge mm-hmm. right huge huge um yeah that, that's, that's that's a terrific piece that's of a, that's it i know i'm just saying you know that's just all i'm saying is that it can go one of two ways and i've seen it kill more careers than anything else mm-hmm. yeah you know we used don't, to call it the kiss of death yes uh-huh. exactly exactly yeah. you know i feel as like a martial artist the 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 point uh the big point of your um, interest is to build your confidence up. So I feel like you should be confident that you can, you know, like I've seen a lot of guys that aren't very good with girls that like, well, they'll go up and they'll just fall for the first girl that they, they meet. And I'm like, you know, I just don't want to lose her. I, you know, I never dated anybody else. Uh-huh. You know, I'm like, man, just build your confidence up. And use, <laughs> use these skills we're teaching you to, to push that forward. So I don't want to get into that topic too much, but like that's, that's a, a big one, you know, mm-hmm. like be picky and make sure you're with someone that, that, that understands what you're doing. That makes, that makes really good they sense. They need to understand their passion. And some, some people can do that by you know, bringing them in with them and they start training too, you know? Yeah. They can go the opposite way too. But, of course. You know, that's, yeah. that, that's a big piece of advice that, that I'd say for competitors. Uh-huh. Um, for jiu-jitsu in terms of technical advice, uh-huh. uh, don't carry other people's pressure. Is a great that's advice. A good, that's a don't good carry piece other people's of, pressure. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a big one that, that Jay preaches a lot. Like, you know, you want to be the one applying the pressure from the top or the bottom. You don't want to be carrying it. And, that makes uh, a lot of sense. Yes, yes, it is. Um, but yeah, that's a big one too. Those are the two I bland. I like but, those. Yeah, I like talk, those. Yeah. yeah. So I, I yeah, I can't. Yeah. I, <laughs> I feel like I had some really good follow ups on significant other you yeah. know, that I just really couldn't ask. Yeah. I like, man, we would have to cut these questions out yes. of the podcast. I'm completely out. <laughs> I mean, and I could go on for days about that one, all right. <laughs> I think I think we've had these conversations before. We could get I. a we could get a whiteboard and uh-huh. I could write it. <laughs> yeah. We could I feel like we'll probably talk about it after. Yeah, the probably after a lot, yes. All right, Mop. Um, anything you want to say? I, I definitely love to have you on again. Yes, um, absolutely. Anything you want to say to finish on this one? Uh, well, we are moving spots, so I would like to talk about okay, that. Okay, I wasn't Once sure. We, I, we didn't I don't. I can't talk. go into it too much. Okay, I wasn't sure what yes, we could talk about. I can't go into about. too much of what's going on, but I can say that we have a lot of big news from my gym, and I'd like to come on after that we, sounds, do, we, we do that. That sounds that would great. be great, so I could talk about it more. But currently, uh, Jim Wolfson Training Center, uh-huh. right? I own it. Uh, and uh, you know it is my livelihood, so you guys should come train there. Right? Yeah, especially if anybody liked what I said today. So that's a big one because uh-huh. uh, 
you know, if you don't like my personality, you're not going to like training there. <laughs> I'm an asshole to most of my competitive students, though. <laughs> Toughens them up. Oh, I, I don't know. I'm borderline abusive. <laughs> well, I Verbally think, and physically. So. I think it comes from a place of it toughens them up. Yes. Right? We always think, well, we're toughening, toughening these yes. guys up. And then you start to think, hey, maybe I really don't like this guy. <laughs> maybe I'm really just being mean to him because I'm mean. I can say it with 100%, I don't like any of them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> if you join my competition team, I already don't like you because I know you're going to give me a headache some point in the future. Mm -hmm. So I'm just pre, pre, you know, putting my expectations down really yeah. low for how much I'm going to like you. But no, yep. no, nah, nah, my, my, I love my students. So like, but that's why fighting is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And if you can't take harsh criticism, you're not going to make it in there in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I'm preparing you for war. So it's going to be, you know, like, like a war. I consider it, I consider it like a life or death, death experience when you go in there. Yeah. Like the you dying is so significantly <laughs> astronomically low but you need to go in there thinking that's what's going on mm -hmm. right now right? and you're gonna you're gonna feel like you're dying yes there's no doubt you're oh, gonna yeah. there will be times in fights and grappling matches where you will say to yourself this is it yeah this is the end oh, i yeah. knew that this day was gonna come oh yeah you know and i knew yeah. it was gonna be at fuji st louis man. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and the guy wished that they hadn't combined the men and the women's division. Away here. You know, we all we've all been there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and yeah, I treat them horribly. Yeah, all of them. But they love me, or else they wouldn't come back. Of course, I got guys driving from all over the place to come train with me. So I feel like we've put together something pretty special, which everyone thinks that of their own academy. You know, mm -hmm. and most of the time it's true. Mm -hmm. But like, if you're, if this is what, if it. If you fit my personality type and the way that I run my stuff, you're going to love training there. Like that is, you're going to love it. It's going to be addictive. Like guys just show up and they're just ready for it. It's my favorite place to be in the whole world. Uh -huh. You know, I'd rather not be anywhere else. I show up and I start yelling at people right away. Uh -huh. But you know, it's all in love and it's all really funny. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, no, that's all I wanted to say, you know. If anybody wants to follow you on anything, what yes. would be the way to do that? Well, follow the Wolves and Training Center, number one. We post a lot of cool stuff, you know, and uh, follow us on YouTube. We have a channel where we post uh, like bi-weekly to monthly documentaries. We have one coming up uh, at the start of this week on Sean's mm -hmm. UFC trip and the training for it. And then also Danny's LFA fight and uh, a lot of local stuff. Like you get to follow our team around and see what we're doing. Um, I always I always watch them. I really yeah. enjoy getting to see those. Yeah, they're great. You just watch like how the, what the guys have to go through, like the sparring and... Who, and, who makes those? Uh, so I have a guy named Ryan Horn okay. that shoots everything. I fight promos, right? Uh -huh. And then I edit them. All right. So he shoots, I edit. We have like a monthly thing. He follows us everywhere. We go to... We, he went to Iowa with me. He did four hours to Iowa with me. You That's know? cool. I'm like, man, this is great. Great free labor. But he follows us around and it is cool. Um, and we do have another one. We've been a little slow because I've been so busy the past month of getting this next one out. Uh -huh. But we're going to be getting this next one out pretty soon. And it's really cool to see. Unfortunately, you won't get to see any of the fight footage. But just yeah. to see the behind the scenes of, of the, the UFC experience, you know, and, and how well they do take care of us. Like... The biggest takeaway from everybody is quit hating on the UFC so much, right? Yeah. They do under, I, I will be the first to say I think they underpay people, but the value added back, they really try to make sure they give you that. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, they try to give you that right back. And, and, you know, hopefully the fighter pay gets fixed and altered, but there's, a, there's kind of a reason why it's like that. You know, mm -hmm. the amenities that you get being a UFC fighter, I don't think you get that anywhere else from any other promotion that has existed on planet Earth ever. Like it is, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, that's a big, big takeaway. That's cool. I'll make sure to link that, uh, yeah. the, 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 the Sean Woods, since we talked so much yeah. about it already, I'll make yes. sure to link that in the description of this episode. Cool. cool. That would be, that'd be great. All right, man. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the no show. No problem. I appreciate it. Look forward to the next conversation. Yes, for sure. And that is the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I uh, had a lot of fun recording this one. Always fun getting to sit and chat with mom. Uh, I really think that this is kind of the format that I want to be sticking with episode wise. Obviously, we could do two people or three people in the room at the same time. Um, but getting more people that I can have more access to uh, someone like Mop, who maybe we could talk to every couple months and see where he's at with his training, where his guys are at with their training and these ideas that he has, these new ways of training that he's trying to find. And uh, uh, also, it's cool to have somebody who's more active in the MMA scene right now that is also still active in the jujitsu scene. Keep in mind, we both were coaching students at West Coast Trials when we went. Uh, so he is on both sides and that just offers a, a, a much more unique perspective than trying to bring in somebody from the MMA side and you know they don't have they don't know anything about jujitsu and, and how it works and how uh, uh, it's monetized and just all these things that Mop understands. So I just think he really is a unique person that we got to have on the show. Hopefully we have him on again uh, really soon. I really hope you guys liked this one. I really uh, I really did had a lot of fun doing it. And I think that's all I have for you guys. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope you like Mop. Check him out on Instagram, on his YouTube channel, and all these different avenues that you could find him. Uh, hope you guys keep listening to the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. I really appreciate I see how much the show has been growing. And I know it's because, really, it's because you guys are sharing and you guys are giving five-star reviews. And I appreciate both of those things. Uh, and... Uh, you know, most importantly, I hope that this episode helps you guys suck just a little bit less at jujitsu. Have a great day, guys.